Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. Today we'll be following Dodo, Stephen and the Doctor as they encounter the Savages. We'll be discussing the Doctor, the Companions, the Villains and give your thoughts and score out of 5 for the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, on to the story recap. Episode 1. The Doctor is exploring a wooded area near the quarry where they have landed, using a piece of equipment to take readings. Unbeknownst to him, he is being observed by two savagely dressed figures. They stalk the Doctor, and one of them wields a club with the intent of knocking him unconscious, but they need to wait for the perfect opportunity. Meanwhile, Stephen is frustrated at having to wait for the Doctor to return, and after being needled by Dodo, he sets off looking for him. He calls out for him, but doesn't get a response, and so calls back to Dodo to let her know he will keep searching. Dodo notices a small trickle of pebbles running down the cliff near her, and she spots one of the savage figures observing her, causing her to scream in alarm. Stephen runs back, and it states that the Doctor may have been wrong about the area that they have landed in, think that it is most likely the Stone Age that they are currently in. The Doctor, meanwhile, calls out to someone in the bushes, causing the two savages to flee, as they think he, he has spotted them. However, two other figures, wearing more advanced clothing, emerge and greet the Doctor as the Traveller from Beyond Time, saying that the Elders of their city have predicted his arrival. He is very curious about this prediction, and decides to go back to the city with them, but says he needs to collect Stephen and Dodo. The two men are unsure of this, as the Elders did not predict that the Doctor would have company. One of them, Idal, says that he will take the Doctor to the city, and agrees that his companion, Exorce will retrieve Stephen and Dodo. Stephen and Dodo decide to go look for the Doctor, but suddenly a spear tuds into the ground beside them. They flee back to the TARDIS as more spears land around them. As they reach the doors, the barrage of missiles stops and suddenly Exorce appears, saying that he will bring them back to the city to reunite them with the Doctor and meet the Elders of the city. In the city, the Doctor is given a lavish welcome and introduced to the Council of Elders and its leader, Jano. He leads the Doctor to a star chart and shows how they have marked his visits to various locations and time periods and that their calculations told him that he would arrive on their planet. Jano offers him a position on the council, having attendants dress him in the robes of office as they laud his knowledge of time and space. The Doctor returns the compliment and applauding their own achievements just as Stephen and Dodo arrive. Jano offers them gifts of a ceremonial dagger for Stephen and an ornate mirror for Dodo. They are then led away to buy two attendants whilst the Doctor is bombarded with questions by the curious elders. Outside the city, Adal is voicing his misgivings about the Elder's treatment of the Doctor to Exorce, showing his disdain for their actions towards an outsider. Their patrol is observed by the two savages from earlier, who address each other as Chal and Thor, and a young girl named Nanina. Chal tells her to go back and warn the rest of their tribe that the soldiers are out hunting and that they should retreat to safety. She makes her way through the quarry, but spots Exorce ahead and hides in a nearby ravine, but he sees her and moves to intercept. Chal and Thor witness her progress and Thor calls out a warning to her, but she can't make it out and carries on towards Exorce's position. She runs into his firing line and he shoots his light gun at her, immobilising her in a stasis field. Chal and Tor make their way down towards the ravine and Chal offers to be taken in Nanina's place, but Exorce ignores him and brings Nanina back to the city. Inside the city, Stephen and Dodo are being shown around by their attendants Avon and Flower. Flower informs them all that the environmental and nature-based effects in the city are artificial. She says that sometimes she wishes she could experience the real thing, but Avon counters this by saying that the city is perfect and everyone has a chance to flourish without facing the hostility of the real world. Stephen wonders if there is a trick to this level of achievement, but Avon says that there is no trick and it is down to the simple discovery made by the elders, but refuses to elaborate more on it. In the council chamber, the doctor is asking the same questions of the elders and they say that they have managed to harness the essence of life in order to sustain themselves and the city. The doctor states that this practice would require a very strong life essence and Jano informs him that they use a specific animal life force for the process, 
With this power, they can achieve perfection for their race, a concept which alarms the Doctor. As they continue through the city, Dodo asks if the purpose of the guards, who seem redundant in the idyllic society Avon and Flowers speak of, is to keep back the savages. The two attendants share a concerned look and try and lead the companions on the rest of the tour. Dodo hangs back and looks out of a window and sees Exorce leading the Nina through a door into the city. Stephen comes back for her and she tells him what she has just seen. Stephen is sceptical of her claims, but before they can argue any further, they are called onwards by Flower. In a laboratory, the nature of the life essence process is revealed when the lead scientist, Santa, is commenting on the low yield of energy that they got from their latest subject, one of the savages. He criticises the technicians, saying that they must have done it wrong, and tells them to release the savage when Exorce messages him, saying he's brought a new subject. Exorce leaves the Nina in and Santa gives out to him, saying that he's behind schedule on his deliveries. Exor says that he was distracted by the arrival of the Doctor and the others, and Senta questions him about them before returning to his task. Unbeknownst to him and the tour group, Dodo has snuck away and entered the lab complex. As she is making her way through the corridors, the recently released Savage makes his way towards her. She screams in terror as he approaches with his hands outstretched towards her. Episode 2 The Savage collapses to the ground and Dodo decides to help the man. She carries him towards the door to the outside and sees Chal and Tor waiting for them. Before they can exchange any words, the door closes, separating her from the savages and forcing her to make her way back through the complex. Hearing some strange noises, she makes her way down the corridor towards their source. She arrives at the lab and gazes in amazement at all the various pieces of equipment which are currently in use, draining the vitality from Nina. Stephen, meanwhile, is desperately trying to find her with Avon and Flower trailing after him, trying to reassure him that she is okay. He goes back to the council chambers and informs the doctor of what has occurred, but he does not seem overly concerned about her telling Stephen that she is more than capable of looking after herself. He then goes back to conversing with Jano. Idal returns and says that he would search for her, and Stephen suggests that she possibly went down a nearby tunnel. Flower tells him that the entrance to the tunnel is forbidden, and Adal says that she would be in trouble if she went down there, and stops Stephen from going to investigate. Dodo's presence doesn't go unnoticed, and one of the lab techs sneaks up on her, muffling her mouth to stop her screaming, and then takes her to the control room. The rest of the techs are confused by her presence, mistaking her for a test subject. She fights back against the techs, threatening to destroy the equipment in the control room. Senta arrives and realises that she is a companion of the doctors. Adal arrives and demands to know what she has seen. Senta says that he doesn't know, and Adal then orders the Dodo to follow him back to the elders. Senta then returns to Nanina, who was forgotten about in the commotion, and nearly died due to the amount of vitality extracted from her. Senta confirms that she is still alive, and then has her escorted from the lab. Adal brings Dodo back to Stephen, and she tells him that even though she didn't see anything, she had a bad feeling about the lab. Flower and Avon try to make light of it, passing it off as a hospital. Idal then continues on with Stephen and Dodo, telling the two attendants that they will be brought up before the elders later to answer for their mistakes. Avon reassures her that they will be safe, but they are mobilised by the weapons of a pair of guards and then led away. Stephen and Dodo are led to the council chambers, and the doctor gently admonishes her for causing Stephen to worry. He informs the elders that he has documents to give them from the TARDIS, and so he takes his friends back with him. Adal reports to Jano that Dodo made it to the lab, but can't say for certain if she knows what was going on. He also suspects that the Doctor might think something is amiss, and Jano orders them to be followed. On their way back to the TARDIS, the Doctor confirms Adal's theory by saying that he wants to discover what is going on in the city, and that he stopped Dodo from saying what she saw in order to protect her. As they progress through the woods, they come across the barely conscious body of the savage that Dodo helped earlier. This confirms the Doctor's theories that the residents of the city are sucking the life force from the savages in order to sustain themselves. He sends Stephen and Dodo back to the TARDIS to retrieve some medication he believes will help the savage they found, and he also gives them his scanning equipment for safekeeping. Not long after Stephen leaves, Adal appears and orders the savage to get back to his sector, as if he was ordering a slave. 
The doctor orders Adele to leave him alone and refuses to go back to the city until Adele aims his gun at him. Not long after they leave, Stephen and Dodo return, seeing the doctor missing. They decide to administer the medicine to the savage until he returns. As they are doing this, Chal, Tor and a group of savages approach them, arguing over how to handle the travellers. Tor demands that they be killed, but Chal orders them to be left alone as they are caring for one of their kinsmen. The savage wakes up and also begs for that they be spared. Stephen convinces the savages that they are travellers and not from the city. The one that they helped informed them that the doctor was taken back to the city by Adele and would more than likely become a subject of the same treatment as he has. In the city, Jano expresses his surprise at the doctor's objections to their way of life. He informs Jano and the other elders that he will oppose them and their twisted ideologies, citing that progress can come at the expense of life. Jano orders Adele to take the doctor to the lab. Once there, he is greeted by Senta, who seems perplexed that his work has been ordered to be stopped. Adele informs him that he is to subject the doctor to the extraction process, much to his shock as he considers the doctor to be a higher form of life. Jano appears with the elders and orders an objecting doctor to be restrained, and Adele mobilises him. He is then taken away and sent to orders the lab techs to begin the extraction process. Episode 3 Jano enters the lab and congratulates Senta on successfully extracting the doctor's vitality, saying that it will change their way of life. He then dispatches Adal to recover Stephen and Dodo so they can also be used in the extraction process. Jano then orders Senta to transfer the vitality completely to him as opposed to the normal process of disseminating it throughout the city populace. Senta is concerned about the ramifications of this, but Jano ignores his concerns and tells him to prepare the transfer. Meanwhile, the doctor is taken back to the guest quarters to be allowed to recuperate in comfort and under guard. Once the lab is empty, Jano goes into a transfer cubicle and Senta begins the process. In the woods, Stephen is asking Chal why the savages don't fight back against the city dwellers, and Chal says that they are no match for the guards' weaponry, and so they hide in the cave systems, knowing that the guards won't give chase. Tor comes back from patrol and informs the group that the guards have been sent out to look for Stephen and Dodo. When asked about the doctor, Tor states his belief that he has more than likely been subjected to the extraction process. Stephen and Dodo decide to try and rescue him, but Chal says the extraction process will make him a shell of his former self. Tor says the patrol is approaching, and Chal decides to take the companions to the safety of the caves, shouting down Tor's objections. The inside of the cave is actually the main hall of a grand temple, and the travellers gaze around in wonderment at the intricate craftsmanship. Chal says that their ancestors built this, but all their skills and inspirations have been diluted away through the generations due to the extraction process. Outside, Exorce comes upon Tor and torches him for the location of the travellers. Tor indicates towards the direction of the caves. Chal leads them deeper into the tunnels, in the hopes that the guards following them will, g- will get lost as a result. Exorce threatens to take a pair of savages back in their place unless he is told where they have been taken, and he is told by the recently released savage which direction they were led off in. Exorce chases after them, but the travellers are alerted to his presence due to the echoing nature of the tunnels. Chal says that they will soon be trapped as, as the tunnel leads to a dead end, but this gives Stephen an idea, and he tells Chal to lead on as he hurls insults back to Exorce. Stephen confirms with Chal that due to the nature of the guards' light guns, which emit a paralysing light ray, there is a chance that they can turn it against Exorce. They hide in the darkness and Stephen takes Dodo's mirror and holds it up as Exorce fires the gun. The beam reflects and hits Exorce, allowing Stephen to disarm him and thus taking control of him. The savages watch in wonderment as Stephen leads Exorce back to the main hall and declare that he and Dodo must be gods if they can turn the guards' weapons against them. Tor says that they should kill Exorce to gain some measure of revenge for their treatment throughout the years, but Nanina ejects to it. Stephen leaves Exorce in her care, whilst Chal leads him and Dodo back to the city to rescue the doctor. After they leave, Tor attacks Exorce, but Nanina stops him from doing too much damage and intends to the prisoner's wounds. Exorce recognises her from earlier and thanks her for her kindness. Chal leads Stephen and Dodo to the exit from the laboratory, where they encounter a guard. 
Stephen manages to get the drop on him, incapacitating him by aiming the light gun ray directly at his eyes, which knocks him out. Dodo takes the guard's gun and Chad opens the door for them so they can go and rescue the doctor whilst he stays on guard outside. In the lab, Jana was not responding to Santa's questions, forcing the scientist to enter the cubicle in order to retrieve the elder. When Jano starts to come to, he briefly takes on the characteristics and persona of the doctor, but Santa snaps him out of it. Santa then tells him to, that he will ensure that he is not disturbed while he gets used to the transfer, but Janos continues to slip in and out of the doctor's persona. After Santa leaves, Jano tries to reassert dominance after the doctor persona nearly smashes the transfer equipment. Stephen and Dodo's progress through the tunnel is being monitored by Adal and Santa. Adal then orders the doctor to be brought to the junction that Dodo earlier met the savage and once there, Stephen and Dodo try to help him as he is still in a fugue state from the extraction. Suddenly, the door to the outside starts to close and despite their efforts to block it, the travellers are trapped inside. As they continue to try and escape, a gas starts to seep into the tunnel, causing them to choke violently. Episode 4 Adal appears at the end of the tunnel and demands that they throw down their weapons. Dodo throws down hers but before Stephen follows suit, the exit opens allowing them to flee with the doctor. Adal orders his men to pursue them but the exit is closed again causing him to storm to the laboratory to see who helped them escape. He arrives to see Jano alone in the laboratory who aided in the escape as he is still under the influence of the doctor's persona. Jano takes back control and orders Adal to accompany him after the fugitives. Outside in the woods, Chal meets the travellers and he leads Dodo and the doctor back to the cave so the latter can recover from the extraction. Stephen says he will stay behind to buy them time. Jano orders Adal to take some men to secure the TARDIS but Adal does not join them in as he is distrustful of Jano due to his odd behaviour and carries on with the main group. As they make their way through the woods, they are ambushed by Stephen, who knocks out one of the guards. Adal orders his men to trap Stephen so he can flank around his position, but Stephen is using hit-and-run tactics to avoid getting caught. In the cave, Nanina is tending to Exorce and trying to stop Thor from whipping the rest of the tribe into a frenzy. She takes up a spear to defend Exorce, but before they come to blows, they hear Chad approaching the cave. He enters and tells them that Stephen will be arriving shortly, most likely followed by a squad of guards. Moments later, Stephen arrives and takes up a defensive position at the cave entrance. He reminds Dodo of the medicine they gave the savage earlier and she administers it to the doctor, who quickly recovers and orders Stephen not to harm Jano. Dodo urges the doctor to get back to the TARDIS so they can leave, but he says instead that they have work to do. Stephen says that negotiation is not going to work and the doctor agrees, saying that he intends to destroy the laboratory. He tells them that they will not have to force their way as someone will admit them to the, to the lab. Stephen then says that the guards have left and the doctor says that they will have a visitor before nightfall. The visitor turns out to be Jano, who ordered Adal and the guards to return to the city. Adal reluctantly agrees and once back at the laboratory, he relates what happened to Santa. The city elders arrive and Adal tells them of his suspicions of Jano. Back at the cave, Jano calls out for the doctor. The doctor says Jano means them no harm and that he reveals that he knew Jano would take all the vitality for himself not for personal gain, but instead he would not risk harm coming to someone else after receiving a new vitality source. He informs everyone that due to the nature of the extraction process, Jano has now received the Doctor's moral code of right and wrong. Jano confirms this by vowing to help end the evil treatment of the savages. Meanwhile, Exorce has managed to get free of his bonds and flees from the cave before anyone can stop him. Nanina runs out after him in an attempt to stop him from revealing Jano the Doctor's intentions, and despite her pleas and reminders that she saved his life, he rushes back to the city. In the city, Santa reveals of the doctor's extraction process to the elders and the side effects Jano is feeling from it. As they are discussing what to do with Jano, Exorce arrives but does not reveal what he knows of Jano and the doctor's plans. Adele orders him to be interrogated as he has now assumed control via martial law. Jano suddenly appears, leading the travellers and a party of savages in at gunpoint. He then orders Adele to be imprisoned for treachery and once he is taken away, orders Santa to seal off the lab. 
He then orders Sentry to describe the lab, but when he refuses, he begins to destroy it himself alongside the others whilst Tor restrains Senta. Jano and Chal agree to unite their people and work to build a better life for all in their world. Suddenly, Adal and a few guards break into the lab, and after seeing the destruction around them, Adal tries to shoot Jano. However, Stephen intervenes and shoots Adal, which earns him Jano's respect and gratitude. Jano begs the doctor to stay, saying that he would be the perfect mediator for the two peoples as they attempt to form a unified society. However, Charles selects Stephen, and Jano agrees that he is also worthy of the role. Stephen says that he can't leave the doctor in Dodo, but the doctor tells him that he is more than capable of the challenge, and the only one that he trusts to do it. Stephen agrees, and once they are alone, he hugs a tearful Dodo goodbye, and shares a handshake with a very proud doctor. He then makes his way to the council chamber, and Dodo asks the doctor if they would ever see him again, as they make their way back to the TARDIS. He simply states that anything is possible in the unknowable realms of time and space. End of the story. So, thank you for that summary, Paddy. That was very good as always. And now, on to some trivia. So, the air date for The Savages was the 28th of May to the 18th of June, 1966. The writer for the story is Ian Stewart Black. This is the first of three stories Ian wrote for Doctor Who. The other two are The War Machines and The Mocker Terror. Ian also wrote the novelizations for all three stories, which we've discussed before, is one of my favourites when the actual writer of the episode writes the novelization. Mm-hmm. He, and he's also one of these people who he thought a Doctor Who credit would impress his children. Nice. Which I love I love so many stories like that. You know, it's the yeah. same as Richard Harris playing Dumbledore in the first Harry Potter because his grandkids would never talk to him otherwise. <laughs> but like that's like one thing is that like I, I like it when actors and writers do that is like they you know, I did it for my kids. And even though like they get like the movies that they do like are kind of like slated. Like um you know Frank Langella? The, he's the guy that buys the New York Knicks and Eddie. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, he played Skeletor because I think his grandkids wanted him to do it or something like that in the He-Man movie. No, I personally love that movie. A lot of people say it's the movie that completely destroyed the um, the production company that produced that <laughs> made it. But uh, I love it. So thank you, Frank. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's nice when they do it for the kids. Yeah, so Ian was one of those people. Uh, Ian sadly passed away back in 1997. The director for this story is Christopher Barry. Now, we've discussed Christopher before. Um, This is his fourth story. He previously did some of the episodes of the Daleks, which you mentioned that had two directors of time. Yeah. He did The Rescue. He did The Romans. And the reason why he took on this is that he was really impressed with the script because he thought the stories had been getting a little bit stale from when he'd obviously worked on it before. So he thought that the script was really, really good. He has six other stories that he directs, so we will discuss his contributions again in the future. This is another missing story with no episodes currently available in the BBC archives. So again, thank you to Loose Cannon, without Mm -hmm. whom we would not be able to enjoy these in the format that we do. However, we have the return of Telesnaps. Now, we've mentioned in previous stories that when Verity left when Verity Lambert left as producer the telesnaps stopped because John Wilds was not a fan of them and he didn't like spending money on having them taken which meant that for reconstruction of his episodes it was really difficult and we discussed the amazing work that the Loose Cannon crew did putting themselves in some of the scenes from the back so you can't tell who it is amazing work 
but obviously very difficult without a visual reference. Inns Lloyd, however, was a fan. And so for the missing stories going forward, there are at least some supporting visuals from these telesnaps. For this story in particular, there are also a few 8mm clips from episode 4 that were included in the loose cannon reconstruction. This is the first Doctor Who story to have an overall story title rather than each episode having its own title. Hence why Paddy has now gone to just part 1, part 2, part 3. Interestingly, the working title for the story was The White Savages and apparently it was meant to be a parable about apartheid in South Africa. And originally, all of the elders, all of the advanced people, were meant to be in blackface. And then all of the savages were meant to be white. Hmm. This was dropped, though, and the only actor who was in blackface was the actor portraying the role of Jano. I was wondering about that because I'm fairly certain I recognise the actor that plays Jano and we might see it when it comes to the the trivia notes. I was like, why have they made him in blackface and I was that was very very curious apparently it was meant to be some parable about apartheid so they were having the elders and advanced people be blacked up and the savages were meant to be white and then they decided not to bother going with that and they for some reason left him in blackface yeah like the like as we kind of said um a couple of weeks ago in the my apology or no we said last week no not last week I'm getting confused now. As we said a couple of weeks ago in the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre like that, the ideals and politics of the time they made for some very interesting story choices. Yeah. So moving on to our cast. So as Chal, we have Ewan Solon. This is the first of two Doctor Who appearances for Ewan. And I knew I recognised him. I knew it. I knew it. And he plays Vyshinsky in Planet of Evil. Ah. I knew I recognised him from somewhere. He was also considered for the roles of Ike Clanton and Virgil Earp in The Gunfighters. His non-Doctor Who acting credits include The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men, The Three Musketeers, The Hounds of the Baskervilles, Maigret, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Dixon of Doc Green. Ewan passed away in 1985. As Tor, we have Patrick Godfrey. Again, this is the first of two Doctor Who acting credits for Patrick. We'll see him again as Major Cosworth in The Mind of Evil. His non-Doctor Who credits include Dixon of Doc Green, Macbeth, Zed Cars, Yay. The Life and Times of Nicholas Nickleby, Agatha Christie's Poirot, The Remains of the Day, and His Dark Materials. Nanina is played by Claire Jenkins. This is the first of three appearances for Claire. We'll see her again as Tanya Lernov in The Wheel in Space and The War Machines. Nope. The War Games. I keep getting those two fucking stories confused. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, you know, War Machines, War Games, they both have... War, war in the <laughs> Claire's non-who credits include Take a Pair of Private Eyes, Adam Adamant Lives, Dixon of Doc Green, Zed Cars, and Ivanhoe. Jano is played by Frederick Yeager. First of three Doctor Who appearances for Frederick, he also played Sorensen in Planet of Evil. That's where you recognise him from, possibly. You also probably... Uh, recognize him as professor frederick marius in the invisible enemy i haven't seen one in a long time but i think yeah yeah no himself and the guy who plays child i was like i recognize the two of these people why do i recognize them and it was planet of evil that was where i recognized them from for dr jano as i am going to call him so jano when he has the 
mm. mind of the doctor. Frederick was coached by Hartnell on how to portray the character properly. So all his little doctor idiosyncrasies, that was Hartnell helping him out. I just imagine like the two of them like sitting in chairs right beside each other and it's just like a, a master class of how to, you know, harumph and do whatever. <laughs> yeah. Frederick's non-who work includes The Grove Family, The Adventures of Sir Lancelot, The Avengers, Zed Cars, Little Women, The Omega Factor, Yes Minister, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Keep You Up Appearances. Frederick passed away back in 2004. I'm very. I'm curious now to see who he plays in Last Crusade. I think he's just a background character, but I'm not quite sure. Cool. Edal is played by Peter Thomas. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Peter. His non-Who work includes Witchfinder General, Tales from the Crypt, The Avengers, Dixon of Doc Green, Zed Cars, and No Hiding Place. We're getting multiple people on the bingo board today. And we're getting lots of Dixon of Doc Green. Yeah, maybe that's another one to add to the board. Uh, Peter passed away in 2017. Lastly, as Santa, we have Norman Henry. Again, this is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Norman. His non-Who work includes London Belongs to Me, Lorna Doon, The Prison, The Kids from 47A, A Family Affair and Crossfire. Norman passed away in 1985. So in this story, we say farewell to Stephen. I'm so heartbroken. (laughs) Again, we have another actor whose contract was simply not renewed. His contract came to the end and Inns Lloyd just decided not to renew it. And that's why he left in the story. Hartnell was apparently furious with Purvis for leaving, even though it wasn't Peter's fault. Like, his contract wasn't renewed, but we've sort of seen previously that Hartnell, he grows really close to his acting companions, and he really doesn't like it when they leave. And he has never been happy to see someone go, so it's not surprising. Mm. In the audio story, The War to End All Wars, we find out that Stephen was made king of the planet, and he had three daughters, the youngest of which he named Dodo. We previously mentioned that while Peter had some trouble finding work after Who, once he got rid of the Trilogic game prop from the Celestial Toymaker, (laughs) he got a role in Zed Cars and shortly after secured his position on Blue Peter, for which he's probably most known for for anyone who hasn't seen Doctor Who. Yeah, I think I saw a clip before, like where um, it was on Blue Peter, and he had to like show pictures of him actually being on Doctor Who because no one thought that he, nor no one knew that he was in it. Yeah. I've seen a couple of clips of him like when they do because Blue Peter always used to do a Doctor Who bit. Do you know? Yeah. Um, there was always a good connection between the two shows. And I saw a clip again it's of him being like yeah so when I was on the show and yes I was on the show. <laughs> do you know? He sort of like has to keep <laughs> reminding people that that's what he used to do. Uh, but yeah that was it for Stephen. Yeah and it's it's been quite a journey and I'm pretty sure uh, our rambling discussion uh, during the week will be interesting. To say the least. So another awesome uh, round of trivia Trish, thank you very much. Uh, so how about now we move on to the main focus of the podcast which is the character discussion. So, as always, we do the Doctor, the companions, and the villains. And how... Give us your thoughts on the Doctor. So, for me, this story with the Doctor, I like the fact that he's going back to taking his scientific readings as part of a new landing. We saw that like back at the beginning, like, in An Unearthly Child and in the Daleks, 
you know, he was every time he lands on a new planet, he was taking scientific readings, he was cataloging the planet, and all that kind of stuff. I like seeing that again because I like seeing science doctor. Mm. I think Hartnell does it really well, and I wish we got to see it a bit more than we do. Also, similar to his early adventures, he likes doing that alone. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> leave me be. Yeah. Um, the the one thing about this story that I think you know, for people who say that, um this store that you know how to put it for people who say that hartnell's era doesn't really add much to the mythos of the doctor because so much stuff ends up being retconned and canon defined later on after hartnell left Mm -hmm. this is really where we start seeing the doctor making a name for himself yeah outside of his interactions with the daleks for example yeah you know, he's the traveler beyond time. He's this sort of almost mythological person to these people. And it, we're starting to see that, do you know, over time. And so it really starts here, which is great to see. A few things that I really liked in terms of the way the Doctor interacted with other people is I do like the fact that we get an impression of his thoughts of Dodo. So, mm. up until now, the Doctor's interactions with Dodo have kind of been limited, to say the least, because usually Dodo's paired up with Stephen, and the Doctor is off separate to them. But here, we have the Doctor saying, I know that young lady, she's perfectly capable of taking care of herself. Mm. Which is a nice way of describing Dodo, and is in massive contrast to the way Stephen describes Dodo all the time, which is that she's a fucking walking disaster zone. Yeah. So I like knowing that the Doctor thinks very highly of Dodo because we haven't really seen them interact as much. However, (laughs) on the flip side, really, Doctor, Stephen is the only man who can lead these people. I think he needed more time to recover from that machine because clearly something... (laughs) Like, this is the person that he was going to lock in the TARDIS in the massacre... Because he didn't trust him by himself. Yeah. And you're going to leave him here to lead these people. Some of whom believe he's a god. Like, no. What the fuck? Um, I think you needed more time in the machine. And the last thing for me that really stood out is... And I wanted to get your thoughts on this was... You know, I talked about things that define the Doctor in the future. Mm. And they started with Hartnell. What did you think of his line, we mustn't look back? I I think that's a really telling thing for doctors to come. Because uh, like it's often been asked, like the question is like, you know, like, oh, does the doctor ever look back on the companions that, you know, have gone one way or the other? And there's a, there's a good reason for it. And it's explained later on that it it hurts too much and i think we got a taste of that in the end of the massacre when he talk when he goes through Ian and barbara and vicky and susan and i th- i think as well like wish the with the randomness of the tardis you know where it lands because there's no real control over where it can land you could like, you could argue that trying to get back would be just too painful so yeah yeah i i think this is like i think this is where that whole true line of the doctor's character of 
kind of like, you know like the incredible hulk you know just forever forever roaming that type of thing uh starts yeah i would agree and again i love seeing that this started with hartnell yeah it's there very early on in the doctor's on-screen yeah. lifespan how about you what were your thoughts on the doctor this time around so okay, this is great we get two doctors for the price of one it's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> um so from a production standpoint I love seeing other people do the impression of uh, doing their impression of the Doctor it's great <laughs> because like we've seen the Doctor do various impressions but now we actually get to see someone do one of him it's really good um, but I love him in this like like his sh- like he's been giving all these all these plaudits and we've seen him react to flattery you know before but th- this is a case of like it's uh, he knows that all the glitters isn't gold like he knows that there's something shifty going on here and like he's a again cucumber cool as he says oh i must go back to the tardis to get stuff that's going to benefit you when it's like just get the fuck out of the city so we can take, <laughs> <laughs> take it down um and like i like as well like that even though like, he recognizes the advancement that the, the society has made and it's great the, the cost of that advancement is is way too high it's like even even one person is way too high for him like and i like that but it's also kind of a thing of that um, can't sh- think of what it reminds me of now but this whole thing of like oh so you want my power well here t- take it take as much as you can I actually think there's going to be something like that years and years and years and years down the line uh, with another doctor who again does something but this time a bit more uh, knowingly but it, it's it's great to see like that the doctor has such amazing moral convictions that even if you attempt to siphon off his essence, they're so ingrained into him that you're going to get more than you bargain for. Way to pretend you don't know what's happening in the future, buddy. <laughs> ah, which which feck off. <laughs> uh, like I like I was just like going like you know like we like was like we try not to jump the timeline. Then I realized, wait no, we've jumped the timeline so many like you can't even see the line anymore. The line is a <laughs> the line is a dot to you. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, like I, I really enjoyed him in this. And after the last couple of stories, it's nice to see him back to top form, I would say. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So moving on, we have our companions. Mm-hmm. So we have Stephen and Dodo, and then the Savages, I suppose, would fall under our companion of the week kind of group for yeah. this week. So do you want to do Dodo, Savages, and then loop back around to Stephen? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Cool. So, what are your thoughts on Dodo? Oh, what a lovely big lab you have, Grandmother. <laughs> all, all the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, it was just... Like, when she went in, it was like, oh, wow, look at the size of this place. <laughs> you know, and, like, you just wanted her to kind of go, what's that? What does that do? And how about this? And all this type of shit. And it was just like, like, we, like... Uh, like, we better stop her because she could tell everything. No, because she's just fucking annoying. Um, I like Dodo in this one. Because again, like, she's also like the doctor in that there's a bit of shrewdness to her that asks, hey, I know, if you're saying everything is so perfect, why do you require armed guards? What's all the secrecy? What's all this type of stuff? Meanwhile, uh, Stephen is like, oh, would you just shut up and walk on the tour? Yeah, so I like that um, she got a chance to shine uh, in this one. Now, it's, the only thing I would say is that like we're what? Uh, we're one, two. This is tr- four stories into Dodo. 
Yeah, with with the yeah. Ar- with the arc, the the gunfighters, the celestial toy maker, and now the savages. We're four stories in, and we're only starting to see it now, and that's a bit late in the game to see like this sort of development. I think. I know, like I hope that you know her next ba- her next story is just as powerful, but I don't know. I think like her time to stand to shine was so limited in this because immediately she's kind of gone back in with Stephen, and then it becomes Stephen take the lead, Dodo you know stand there and look pretty yeah like i watching the first i would say like the first half of the story so the first two episodes i was really loving dodo she was being a little bit cheeky you know like commenting how the doctor has no sense of time which is funny for a guy who travels in time you know that type of thing and getting a little rise out of steven you know i love all that Um, And also we got to see that she was very inquisitive and observant again to your point of what's that? Why can't I go down there? You're saying this is a perfect society. Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? Wandering off and opening doorways never ends well, but it's that curiosity and that sort of there's something wrong here. Also, I love how we get feisty Dodo. Mm. So when she's eventually caught and she's just like, no, what were you doing? What were you doing to them? And it's just like this constant like feistiness and not willing to back down. Yeah. And there was also a, a very Barbara-esque moment in that. When she helped the savage at the end or like going out the tunnel. Well, like, yeah, because like, you know, like you've got that very reminiscent of Daleks episode one where something approaches on the tunnel. And she lets out the scream and then she sees the danger in front of her. And she assesses, and she decides to help this person. So, yeah, yeah like we we kind of got that Barbara moment from her. Yeah, my problem is that like so that was great, and I have that as well. Like I love that she helped out the savage out of the corridor when he fell because that's it's, it's very Barbara reminiscent. It also gives her a little bit of depth, and hmm. it does tie back a bit to the Celestial Toy Maker, where you know even though they were playing the games against the toys she knew that these toys were once people and she felt bad for them. Yeah. Do you know? So it kind of ties back to that. Then we get the second half where she does fuck all. Like, she really does nothing and it starts off with a really weird mixed bag. So, like, when she originally saw the savages, she did the classic Doctor Who big scream. A little bit over the top, but then again, someone did just throw a spear at her. Mm. So, you know, maybe not. Then she helps the savage out and is kind to him. And then she becomes like a frightened deer again when she sees the savages later. Which is like, okay, either she's accepting that they're just people or she's afraid of them. So pick one. Pick a lane and stay in it. But then like when they're in the tunnel, she does the very Stephen thing of, but what's down there? But what's down there? Don't know. They've told you there is nothing in this tunnel. Stop asking every five fucking seconds. There's nothing there. Don't just have her ask the same question in a vague attempt to give her lines. Uh, it's very reminiscent of like, how was it? How long till the ship is fueled? How long till the planet explodes? How long till the ship is fueled? Fucking hell. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the stories that Dodo has been in, I think this is probably a very strong one for her yeah. based purely on the first two episodes. But sadly, as is the case with Dodo, it just drops in the second half in favor of Stephen. And I kind of get that they were setting up Stephen for his departure. So they kind of have to do a little bit. But like we've had strong 
duo. We've had strong trios in the TARDIS together before. There's no reason why Dodo has to be sacrificed in order to up Steven. Yeah. Which bothers me. And like we've had... And like this is one thing that I've kind of noticed as well in that... Uh, Vic, no, no, Vicky's departure, um, while not to the same extent, the way in which she departed was kind of overshadowed by Stephen getting injured. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. No, again, like this, this is our perception of it, and like my my perception is, I think that there's, I th- we're we're kind of entering like this section that we're in now. I think is the trope of the screaming companion and that that's what Doctor Who back in when it started was so silly because you focus on these aspects of it. It's it's funny to think that I think in at the top of my head there's maybe like four screaming like stereotypical screaming companions on a consistent basis mm. ignoring like the dozens of others that are just rock solid. Yeah. I think and we'll get more into this probably in our ramblings for both Stephen and Dodo when that eventually yeah. crops up. My my view of it is going back to John Wiles again. John Wiles was not a big fan of Hartnell. Mm-hmm. He didn't want Hartnell to stick around. He didn't get on with him. He thought that Hartnell's illness obviously caused issues with shooting and the lines and whatever. And so... They were trying to make Stephen the hero of the show. Hmm. And that's very obvious in the stories that he's in. They were trying to make Stephen the hero. Everyone should be following Stephen. Stephen's who you should want to be. And unfortunately, and maybe it's because they no longer had a female producer. That meant that the female characters get sidelined. Yeah. In favor of Stephen being the hero. And that's obviously not Peter Purvis's fault, but... I think it's something that happened with John Wilde that unfortunately just carried over into this period as well with Dodo. And it just means that we don't get enough time and enough development of other characters, which is unfortunate. Mm. So if we go on to the savages, so we have Chal, Tor, and Nanina. Yeah. So, so go on. I was going to say, like, so for Chal... Uh, I have like that he's a good leader and that he knows there's no point in arm resistance because it would just waste needless lives. So it's like uh, kind of like Ewoks, you know, stay in the high trees away from the um, the the monsters that kill you. You know, like he's he's no push. Like he's you know he is old. Like he's very yeah. very kind of Grandpa Moses type thing, but um, he's no pushover and like that. You know, Thor continually challenges his leadership abilities. That's the word I'm looking for, mm. and he. It's it's almost like, you know, kind of two lions and it's like the old lion is still, you know, game for a fight. He may be covered in scars and whatever, but he's still up for a fight, you know? So I like I liked Chal. I thought Chal was a really good character to have in this one. I can kind of see him becoming like the like the a chief advisor after everything, you know, either burns to a cinder or <laughs> rises from the ashes, whichever way it is. Yeah, I mean I agree. I think Chal sort of continues this trend we've seen in who where we've had a couple of leaders now that we've both kind of read are very wise leaders very strong leaders they're fundamentally nice people yeah <laughs> you know it's the same like we had it with the sensorites we had it with a couple of other stories mm-hmm. and what i like about Chal is that even though we've kind of been told that like this essence extraction takes away 
some of their mental capacities. I, Do you know? I, not so much their capacity, but it's their... What makes them skilled. Yeah. But clearly... And he's obviously been through the procedure himself. Yeah. They all have, I'm pretty sure. So even with that, he still recognizes help from a stranger and that you can... He's still a nice person. He still wants to help them. Hmm. And he's not become so closed off or so closed-minded to the situation around him. Which I like. You know, they could have very easily done him as the dumb leader mm. who has lost his ability to make rational choices or whatever. And they didn't. They chose him as the strong leader leading his people, even though they've been through this hell, which I really, really liked. Yeah. And then you have Thor. Uh, Thor. 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's no H, Paddy. <laughs> look, I, you know me. I'm from Kerry. I can put a H into whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Stephen. Say Earth, Paddy. Say Earth. <laughs> Earth. <laughs> yeah. See, this is the thing now. Is that like because okay? So myself and Trish were from two different counties in Ireland. I'm from Kerry, and she's from Cork. The eternal rivalry, um, and. Our accents are like you might be able to tell, uh, but I've been living in Cork for so long. Or when I go home, my accent regresses, and so I come back up to Cork, and I'm like you know spouting H's left, right, and centre, and it drives my wife insane. <laughs> and Trish likes. To, I just find it funny. Yeah, and Trish. Yeah, Trish, also yeah, Trish likes to make fun of me for it. Yeah, so. <laughs> so anyway, Tor. Yeah. Um, again, this is sort of an archetype that we've seen before. Mm. Very young, distrustful, just out for revenge, you know, and very much the, oh my God, the strangers must be gods type of fuck off. <laughs> but it's always interesting in these type of stories is that you've got one character in, in both camps that's a mirror image of the other. So like, I kind of yeah. view him as like Idal. Uh, he's the Idal yeah. of the savages in that he has just this undying, unfettered hatred for the elders and won't see, you know, reason. He's just got tunnel vision. And that's why that's why I don't think he'll ever beat Chal so long as Chal is alive for yeah. for leadership. And he's that person that you always have to be kind of looking out for because even at the end, where it's like, okay, we're going to unite like Chal and Jano decide to unify the two societies. He's still very much capable of throwing a wrench in the works, very much capable. Yeah, and I will say one thing in his defense, right? Oh, like there's obviously the centuries and centuries of like you know oppression and slavery and yeah, yeah. like the elders, like the advanced people, like we'll get to them in a second. But I mean, Tor's right to be angry, and it's completely understandable. It's just you know, it would be great if that wasn't all he is. Yeah, that, that that's what I mean in the sense of like that until he can get past, until he can see the wider picture, like he's entitled to his hatred for them. But until he can actually kind of expand the viewpoint, he won't be the leader that the savages need. Yeah. The one thing as well about him that I thought, again, was very sort of typical of this sort of young, you know, I'll take over as leader, I'll be the leader type of archetype is how inept he is. Mm. So he is going on and on about how letting Stephen and Dodo into the cave would be the end of them. And he's the one who gives it up where they are. It's like, well, of course, it's going to be the end of your people. 
if you fucking tell the guards that that's where they are. <laughs> it's sort of this thing of like he has all this bravado. Yeah. But then at the first sign of the light gun, you know, cock an eye up to the cave and give the whole game away. Like. So next we have Nanina, or as I term her, Space Barbara. <laughs> she is a nice Space Barbara, that's true. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing. Her cries when she's being put into the essence extractor thing. Yeah. Holy crap. That was very visceral and really upsetting to watch. Or in this case, listen to. Yeah. Well, like, as in yeah. watching the, yeah. the slides that they put in and listening to it. Like, she has clearly been through this before and knows exactly what's going to happen to her. And, like, I actually nearly started crying. It's just so visceral. Fair fucks to your one who played her because that was, like, you felt it, like. Yeah. And what I love was the fact that, like, she's very strong and she's very brave because while she's crying out, she's crying out the whole time to stop. It's not just crying and mm. feeling sorry for herself. It's don't do this, don't do this, don't. It's this constant, you know, trying to get them to stop. Which was very, it was very touching, but very upsetting to, to listen to. Yeah, do it actually kind of reminded me of Count Rugen's life extractor in The Princess Bride. Mm. Yeah, yeah, not to 50. Uh, but but also kind of um, like, I f- it's kind of funny that, you know, the, the, the elders are such an advanced uh, race society. And, but they have these things which are, it's funny to think that you can build a machine that is so beneficial to one, but you can't make it a painless thing for the others. Yeah, I mean, the very idea of sucking out someone's essence is just... Th- th- there's no way that concept is not fucking horrific, like... Yeah, you could at least you could at least drug them, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I think... We'll, we'll get to the elders in a second, but... um, go- Going back around to Nanina... I said she is space Barbara, you know, she's very strong and brave and she shows again surprising charity and care for her prisoner who was once her captor. You know, in a similar way to what Barbara used to do all the time, you know, she won't let them kill him. And she defends him and she's willing to stand up to the rest of the tribe to defend the man who imprisoned her and caused her to be experimented on. Yeah. And I, I think she's great. I think she was a really, really strong character. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed her, like, because as I said, like, the Barbara-like capacity of um, showing mercy to your enemies uh, goes back to the unearthly child with uh, her and Za, and yeah. then uh, as well, like, you know, standing up for them when they're wounded and, at, and effectively at her mercy, she's like, no, you're this isn't the way we're going to do it type thing. So yeah, I liked her. So now on to the the man of the hour. Oh, Stephen. It's it's no secret that I'm not a fan of Stephen. Hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to not having to discuss him again. But I have four-ish quotes in here that really sort of highlight my issue with Stephen. Yeah. And the thing that if you take his bumbling aside, you know, this is the thing that makes me actually hate him. Mm-hmm. 
you're a guest here, behave like one. You must be off your head. Not even Dodo would be as stupid as that. And she imagines things. Stephen, fuck you, you condescending prick. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how to describe that. Like, seriously, that's how you describe your traveling companion and apparently the person you later name one of your children after. Yeah. She's not a child, Stephen. And you're not some fucking all-knowing god, no matter what people are trying to make you believe. She was right, you dickhead. I mean, what's kind of the, the worst thing about that is that, um, like, at the end, Dodo start, uh, cries as he says goodbye. And it's just like, this. he's never been... No, see, this is the thing, is that... Like, in the other in the outside media, like, so, like, in terms of, you know, books and audio stories and that kind of thing, we have no idea if... if like the characteristics between the two of them are different in between the adventures that we see but if at that time that wasn't a, a concept like it, bar maybe the Doctor Who annuals that came out hmm. but if all we're going off of is this she I don't see why she would ever be that sad at his leaving yeah I mean maybe it's a thing of maybe <laughs> maybe it's her charity maybe she likes him despite the fact that he treats her like shit Hmm. i don't know but like the other stuff about steven in this is again we have him sort of you know let me see what's going on i have to be the leader steven oh the doctor's been gone for ages you know what the hell why why is he want he's a grown man like live him off but as well like the thing that i had to talk down right first of all he thinks that Dodo imagines the savage at the beginning. Yeah. Did you go up and investigate? Why immediately brush it off? Why assume she's imagining it? Why would why would she imagine a savage quote unquote savage dressed person? <laughs> like why why is that something she would imagine? But then if we go back to the time meddler, Stephen denied that they were in the past, even when he was shown a Val- a Viking helmet, even when He's interacting with these people. He's like, no, no, we, we could be anywhere. We could be anywhere. But he assumes they are in Earth's distant past based purely on Dodo's description of one person. Mm-hmm. So either this is growth as a character or sheer fucking stupidity. Uh, I think you mean a space helmet for a cow, not a Viking helmet. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> I needed to bring some levity to this because <laughs> your 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 blood is up. <laughs> um, so while Trish recovers, I will I, I I will echo some of her statements. Uh, yeah, in between the giggles. So uh, I'm in complete agreement over S- Stephen being pretty much like it, this is a tale of two Stevens, even though it's meant to be a tale of two doctors, really. But it's a tale of two Stevens. You have. The asshole, like, and like, I'm like, let's just call a spade a spade, shall we? Like, he's like, he is an asshole. That, like, the way he treats Dodo is, it's like, you can have friendly banter, absolutely not a bother, but no, not not to this extent. Like, how you've traveled so much, you've seen so many things that you know you should have a pretty kind of, you should have a everything's hinky, you know, something's hinky radar. You can't just kind of like fob off for concerns. 
Um, so you've got him being like this type of one, but then like later on, like you got him out in the jungle, like you know, or in the forest, like you know, doing hit and run tactics and you know, going toe to toe with the elders, and it's like the, the again fulfilling the role of the action man. And then at the end, you're we're t- presented with this thing of Stephen is being is given the doctor's seal of approval. He's given the thumbs up to say that you're the best candidate to help these two societies come back together and across the what are we seven stories no uh no how many stories was steven 17 so 17 18 20 21 22 23 24 25 26 the nine stories that we have with steven um i've yet to see anything that would i i haven't seen an Ian in the Daleks moment by Stephen at all, because mm-hmm. Steve, you know, like uh, going back, you know, to Ian and the Daleks, which is also a great name for a band. Um, his whole thing of we can't get the Tals to fight for us; they need to learn to fight for themselves. Otherwise, I'm not going to back it. I've never seen Stephen exude that sort of a methodology. Now I know he hasn't been in necessarily those type of scenarios, but like you need to see some sort of a true line in, in the character and I don't see it here. So I'm wondering now, will he try and be like the Doctor and take all the learnings that he's received from his time on the TARDIS to mediate um, these two things? Or is he going to be the sort of petulant child he can be at times and the whole thing goes to shit? Yeah, I mean, the the description that they give of who this new leader should be is that they must inspire trust. His judgment must come from his heart even more than his head. Well, that's fine, because there's very little in Stephen's head. But, like, his heart is the thing that causes him to body slam a random guy who's just standing in a forest. Hmm. So, you know. Um, yeah. I would like to say one thing, right, because I, I sort of... I rag on Stephen a lot, and I know I do. Yeah. Right? I will give credit where it is due, though. If they wanted someone, like if it was a case of Jano sided with the with Chal and his people, but it was going to still be a battle to take over the advanced society to get them to see reason, and if they needed someone to fight with them, Stephen is a good choice for that. Yeah. If it was a case of this is going to be a rebellion of sorts, Stephen would be a good military leader for these people given his sort of more advanced understanding of technology and stuff versus the savages yeah and like you know credit where it's due using the mirror against the light gun was a really good idea yeah you know that was that was brilliant that was a very very good idea so had had he just stayed behind to help them in their fight against the you know Edal and his people I probably wouldn't have minded so much. Yeah. Because he can do that. He can be a hothead in fight battles. And like you said, like he can be pulling like stealth moves in the forest and stuff like that. He can do all that stuff. And if that was what they were choosing him to stay for, that would make sense. Yeah. He's not a mediator though. And he's never shown the ability to be one. No, like he, it's like, I, I think they could have found a better way to write Steven out. That would actually yeah. be in line with the, with the more positive aspects of his character. I know you said like you know we like we do like 
we don't like obviously from the evidence of the podcast we're not particularly big fans of Stephen and there are big fans of Stephen out there and like that's why we kind of like invite people to have discussions with us as well to kind of you know bring in their side of things as well because like there are positive sides to Stephen but there aren't enough positives to have this be the way that he's written out that's my opinion it was an unearned glorious exit yeah so how about we will save more Stephen discussion for our rambling on uh, Wednesday so we'll now move on to the villains Indeed, the advanced society of, I don't even know a word to describe them. Uh, Sadistic fuckers. Just say assholes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we have picked Jano, Idal and Senta. Yeah, I think if we start with the bottom and work our way up. So if we start with Senta first, and then Idal, and then Jano. So Senta, he's sort of the despicable scientist. Yeah, because I was going to say like that. Normally, in these scenarios, like you have like the misguided scientist who like thinks he's, you know, um, it's like oh my technology was never meant to be used this way or what. No, yeah. it's like he treats them like livestock. It's like you know the subjects. It's the you're behind on your delivery quota. All this like it's like he's no he is a despicable scientist, yeah. and um, in a more kind of a more modern analogy, he's a war criminal. Oh yeah, I mean he's a. Mengele yeah. type person type character if ever there was one you know like, and what I find what the despicable part of it for me is that it's perfectly fine to perform the transference on the quote unquote savages but not on someone as advanced as the doctor yeah oh wait I might be able to learn something let's do it anyway mm. it's like, yeah and it's like will he have a place in this new world that is being built probably not I don't think so. I think he could if he took a step back. But to him, that lab was his life's work. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to take the destruction of it very well. Um, I kind of hope, like when he was saying like, oh, we can't do this to someone as advanced as the doctor. I kind of hoped that like if they could show how advanced the child and his people were, that maybe this character would have a turnaround, but the more I think about it, I don't think so. I mean, if he was really that curious about how advanced their brain capacity was, he would have checked it, and he never did, or if he did, he didn't care. Yeah, no. So, I think, yeah, he'll probably be spending his, uh, or his contribution to society will be behind bars or in some sort of work, <laughs> work gang. Yeah, or at least just excluded from scientific discovery mm. going forward. Then we have Tor's counter. Yeah, Idal. In the form of Idal. Gestapo. <laughs> Gestapo much. <laughs> yeah. What a sadistic... You might, he's he's the sadistic little fucker in a stupid hat. Yeah. Do we, they, like, so, um, to describe what the, the guards look like, they wear something that... If those old, those old-fashioned weighing scales for flour... Where you have the scale and then you've got the little tray that sits on top. That's what he's essentially wearing on his head. And it's just like, you look stupid. Do you know what he's wearing? What? Or what it looks like? Do you remember in the Dalek Invasion of Earth? Yes. The Robo-Men. And the control thingy that they wore. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, actually. (laughs) Well, yeah, so he's a sadistic little fucker in a stupid hat. Um... But he's very much one for, this wasn't in the briefing. 
we must go back so we can have a briefing. <laughs> it's like... But but this is the thing now with Adal is that like I'm convinced that Adal is no longer invested in making his society better. The only reason he does what he does is he gets his jollies out of hunting. Yeah, like he's someone who he's very much one for protocol. Mm. And the protocol was we're better than them, hunt them down and bring them in. Yeah. And he no longer cares why that was the protocol. He just knows that that is the protocol and that is what I'm going to do because I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, like also, you know, he's very quick to take over uh, the city via martial law as opposed to letting any one of the other elders oh, take, yeah. take over. <laughs> it's like, it's not a military decision yet. <laughs> but he uh, knows better. Yeah, he knows better because I have a stupid hat. <laughs> yeah. None of you have stupid hats. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Jano. No, I have a question for you, right? Yeah. So, Jano, at, for, what was it, two episodes of the story, exhibits dual personality. So you would say he's just maybe slightly two-faced. Were you, think, were you thinking of Janus, the, the two-faced Roman god? Because I was. Um, I wasn't. Right. I'll be honest. Cool. Um, your knowledge of Roman gods exceeds mine. Uh, but you did also Janus come up in the River Arden series? He does, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe. Yeah. I... But anyway, moving <laughs> moving on. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, maybe that is where the name came from, though. Possibly, I don't know. My thing with Jano is, it's hard to like him at the end. I am. I I don't like him at the end. I because yeah, we... you're kind of meant. I think you're kind of meant to like him at the end, because. He changes his ways and whatever, but he doesn't change his ways. That's the thing. It's 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 not Jano that has changed. It's Jano Doctor or Doctor Jano, yeah. whichever way you want to put it, because he at he, well, he does end up on the side of the angels at the end. But he is the person that has orchestrated this horrible society, and he has one redeeming quality in terms of while well, he's still a villain, he has only one redeeming quality that's just unique to Jano, in that. The doctor knew that Jano wouldn't risk putting the society at risk by giving them an unknown vitality source. So that's why he decided to take it on himself. And if he died, he died. If he got the ability, the best of it, then he knows that, cool, I took a fair chunk of it for myself. I still get the best, but everyone else gets something of it then. But at the, at the end of the day, the only reason that he's a good guy is because he has the doctor's moral code forced into him. I didn't buy the whole... I'll take it first because it's not safe for everybody else. Bullshit. That was that was a that was a cop. He is the leader. He gets the best. That I didn't buy it as a good thing. I bought it as a lie to explain why he did it. But no, that's what the doctor the doctor said about him. The doctor knew that. That's why. I, yeah, I think that doesn't make sense with the character we saw though. Like, you could easily have written the line of, "I knew Jano would accept the transference <laughs> because." Yeah. He wants to be the best. Like, th- yeah. th- there was nothing to show that the Jano wouldn't. I th- maybe that with the ending that they had planned out, they wanted to make Jano a small bit more redeemable. So I, I probably read read into it that way. But, maybe, but like, but like, even no, at the end of the day, like Jano was still a villain. Like he, he's not, he's not a good person himself. Yeah, like he doesn't seem to realize or care, maybe, that what he's describing to the doctor when they're sat around drinking tea is absolutely barbaric Mm. 
like and he can't i think his problem is that he can't like, he genuinely doesn't get why the doctor would disagree with him mm. which begs the question what the hell is going on inside his mind that he accepts this as a perfectly normal thing there's nothing wrong with it you know that's not just an evil guy doing evil things because mm. most evil guys who do evil things know that what they're doing is evil this is someone who is so fucking disconnected from any sort of empathy that he can't see that what he's doing is evil yeah and you know while it was i i loved the bits of dr jano i thought it was brilliant it was very well played it was like Freddy's story it was, was like, brilliantly well played uh hartnell and the actor was it I frederick remember. yeah frederick uh they did a great job they, they they worked really well together yeah it was very well done but he's not jano anymore no he's dr jano or jano doctor yeah and you can't credit jano with things that jano would never have done yeah it's like he says like oh i see the morality of it now whatever it's like no because like when the transference first happened my first line here is oh my god he is the doctor yeah because he wasn't acting like the doctor in the sense of seeing things the way the doctor would Mm. he was the doctor he was talking about dodo and steven as his friends he was the doctor in Jano's body. Yeah. Now, and that eventually faded and just the morality part stayed. But like, what's going to happen like two days down the line when Jano recovers even more? Is he going to revert back to what he was before? Because mm. he's not going to get more of the doctor's essence to keep that morality meter high enough. Yeah, it's an interesting fucking character though. Mm. I suppose like that's why he, I think he's a good villain. I I, I he, like we'll get into it in the overall, but um, I I think he like for Jan is probably the most interesting of the villains in, in this capacity because we we talk the most about him. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have come to the part of the show where we give our thoughts on the story as a whole and give a rating out of five. So Paddy, I will hand it to you first. What were your overall thoughts on this story and what score would you give it? So again, a rewatch for me leads to a change of perception. The first time I watched this was about 10 years ago and it was a very meh story. It was like Stephen was leaving and... Um, I think as well like the, as I said before doing this podcast it leads because I'm focusing on things a lot more it leads to a lot more of a critical analysis so therefore the the episodes change mm. but like I think it's actually a pretty decent story because like there's an awful lot going on in it like you know you've got the themes of like fascism and like the sort of pseudo appropriation thing by you're taking all these amazing gifts and talents from the savages and you're using it to build your society while essentially making them a, a slave race. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I also got some serious Planet of the, Planet of the Apes vibes uh, <laughs> from it, uh, both new and uh, old, uh, mm-hmm. which is surprising. <laughs> um, 
Uh, no, because I focus on a lot more, and because we've been doing this thing for like we're on it was twenty six weeks. <laughs> um, Stephen's departure could have been like it should have been done differently. I like I don't think the the, the departure that we got there doesn't gel up with the character that we've been we've seen for yeah. the last number of stories. Like he's a very turbulent relationship with the Doctor, and I do I honestly don't see the Doctor vouching for him as a mediator. No. No. And it, the story kind of loses a bit of points as well because like you you give you give me like this amazing bright shining moment of Dodo, and then she's in the background again, you know, just stand there and look pretty. There was also one thing about the production of it. So there's a huge number of scene cuts, jumping back between Jano in the laboratory and Adele looking for the savages and the savages wish Stephen and Dodo and it just jumps back and forth so much that it's like you're it's a tennis match on speed two point five, and that was really annoying. Not, uh, like, Would that, that have been as annoying if it had? If the footage had survived, I, I, for me, for me, I think it would be because it's not the loose cannon rec- recreation. That's the way that the actual story was done, and I think that's really like I, I've made the point where like, when you split the party, good writing will make you want to go back to each group, mm. but but you need a small bit of time to give like a bit of pacing to each group, you know, because like if you're just literally jumping back and forth like seconds apart, it gets a bit annoying. So all things considered, I've labeled this as a two point seven five, because mm. I like the I like the overall teams of it, and I like certain characters in it, and I like certain discussion points on it. But Stephen's departure, Dodo's Dodo's uh, presence, and the production uh, choices have kind of brought it down for me a bit. So yeah, okay. two point seven five. That's interesting. So for me, <laughs> so this is a very interesting story mm. and it's an interesting premise that we haven't seen done on who before i am not a fan of the idea behind this story it's sickening a similar concept was used in the sarah jane smith audiobook the tau connection and i wasn't a fan of it then either right? <laughs> this idea of taking someone's essence but i don't like it because it's a horrible thing to do someone it makes for a very fucking interesting story though tau connection also a very interesting story i was just going to say like is it that is the concept is reprehensible or is it just the story itself is no the concept is reprehensible (laughs) the story around that reprehensible concept though i think was very interesting and i actually really enjoyed it for the most part we get to see like i said the myth of the doctor being formed and the insight into how different he is from human beings you know we've yet to have his species named at this point in the show but again this is another indication similar to like the Dax master plan or whatever it's another indication of just how different he is Mm. in the way the transference worked for him and like i said frederick played jano doctor very well i thought that was brilliantly done some fantastic acting there and actually the acting overall i think was very well done like i mentioned nanina was also fantastic that was brilliant i would have as upsetting as that scene was i almost want to see what the actual footage of that was 
but like that, that's the thing with a lot of these lost stories is that like we've kind of talked about some very distressing sequences so like the fall of troy yeah. and the massacre itself and the massacre of saint Bartholomew's eve they're very distressing sequences to listen to but to see them acted out would be very interesting yeah. although i remember i was having a discussion recently with someone on the uh facebook fa- fan group uh for people that actually like the show and i think the original production for the massacre was the use of that painting overlaid with that decision um so yeah at least we didn't have to see anything like that yeah um but yeah like i think like again nanita as i said nanina is definitely like the savages are probably the better of the supporting characters i think overall yeah definitely um and then my best moment (laughs) steven's gone (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I, honestly gone. i started waiting for you to start singing the na 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 song <laughs> no i was going i was more going ding dong the dingus is gone um was sort of what was going through my head i was sort of playing ding dong the witches dead though you know uh, i'm not a fan of his if you are a fan of his you know i'm sure again similar to um the massacre and similar to the gunfighters over i'm sure the story was great for you if you're a big fan of steven then this is a, a perfect ending for that character if you're a fan of him. Um, the thing they didn't like, though, was Dodo did not contribute anything in the second half. Yeah. Which is annoying because she had such a strong opener. You know, we've discussed before, you know, with companions, like we had Susan, who had the amazing performance in the Sensorites, and then you've got Reign of Terror, which just ruined it. But Dodo has that within a singular story, which is very annoying. It's yeah. not even a very long story. Like, if it was no. maybe a six-parter, you'd kind of maybe get away with it a bit more. But it's a four-parter over, like, three days. So, you know. Mm. And also, I don't think the exit they wrote for G- well, for Jeevan. I don't think the exit they wrote for Steven was a justifiable exit for his character. No. Just like I didn't think Vicky's exit was a justifiable exit for her character either. I think the only, in my opinion, the only companions so far that have gotten a justifiable exit are Ian and Barbara. Because yeah. they were consistent in wanting to go home. You know, I seriously doubt how successful this new civilization is going to be with Stephen as their leader. He's thick as a plank, he's quick to anger, and he's very short-sighted. But they chose him, so on their heads be it. Mm-hmm. At least if there's an uprising, he can help in the fighting because he's quite good at that, so... But it does raise like no. What I will say is, I am very interested to see the after the outcome of this because of the point you raise is that what happens if the Doctor's influence wears off Jano? Yeah. Will Jano be savvy enough to try and pretend to still be the Doctor, and will Stephen attempt to see through it, or what? What will it be? The concept is interesting. Yeah, and for me, the concept is so strong. Mm. The acting was done so well. And Dodo's good moments and Stephen leaving, just in general, I liked all of that. So I gave this a 3.5. No, that's a fair score. It it didn't actually have that many negative things for me. Dodo should have gotten more and that lost a whole point just straight off the bat. And I didn't think Stephen's exit was justified. So that lost another half point for me. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me is is the nature of Stephen's departure is just so off kilt it's just or off kilter it just doesn't seem the right way to do it hmm. but 
for better or worse, that is the way in which Steven Tyler was uh, Taylor. Sorry, not Tyler. Was it no? Taylor. It Taylor. Yeah, Steven Tyler. Like, well, you know, he you know he left, wanted the universe for a while, formed Aerosmith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so that's that. And uh, went toe to toe with Mick Jagger in a lips competition. <laughs> so, so that's. Yeah, no, that's the departure of Stephen. And as I said, on Wednesday, we'll be having our rambling discussion about his time on the ship. Yep. So join us next week, guys, as the Doctor and Dodo return to Earth, uh, their Earth, uh, in uh, an encounter with the War Machines. Yes. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.